sobering to think that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that to the very day on the International Day of Prayer for them, most likely they are being mistreated, harmed, raped, beat, abused, because they will not let go of their faith. And they need our prayers. Let's pray for them. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and the strength that you give that is beyond our comprehension. To our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this world who are being persecuted only because they believe in you. They share the name of Jesus and that gets them tortured. Father, strengthen them. Send angels to minister to them. When their stomach is empty, fill it, Lord. When they are in the lion's den, shut the mouth of the lions. Father, forgive us in our complacency when we live in a free society that we are fearful of the culture police to not be bold as our brothers and sisters are who risk their very lives and their children's lives. Father, thank you for blessing them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Whew. Like Tammy said, if you would like more information, you can go to their website or you can sign, uh, let Tammy know and, and uh, get a prayer calendar. You know, there are some things that are hard to understand, but it's easy to accept because you can see it, right? How many of you could put a rocket together and send it off to the moon and land people on, on the moon? You, you see it, you don't understand how it works, but you accept it, right? Except for all you flat earthers, <laughs> right? Or how about a nuclear power plant? You don't quite understand how it works, but you know it exists because you see it. What about, how many of you know how a microwave works? You could build one in your shop. Uh, or how to slice DNA in a laboratory and put it together. Or you could fix the Hubble telescope if you got up there because you know everything about those optics. Or how about, I know many of you are successful day traders on Wall Street, right? Because it, it's hard to understand, but you see it and you know it happens. Now, there are some things that are easy, though, to understand, but they're hard to accept. See, we're flipping it. Easy to understand, hard to accept. Did you notice the title of today's message? God's Word. Hard to understand or hard to accept? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Am I right? Um, I understand that in some Asian countries... They eat dog. I can't accept that. Yeah, I, I understand it, but uh, uh, and I understand in China they eat monkey brains. Okay, I, I I understand it. I understand what they're doing, but I don't want to accept it. Right? Are you with me on that? People in India though find it very repulsive that we eat cow. That we may have a steak today, and they're going to be a. They can't accept that. If you were told you're fired, it's easy to under understand, but it's hard to accept. If you're told you have cancer, you understand what that means, but again, it's hard to accept. If you're told 
I'm leaving you. You understand those words, but it's hard to accept. Now, let's turn this phrase towards the Ten Commandments that we just went over last week, right? Let's turn it to God's Word. Are they hard to understand, the Ten Commandments? Are they hard to accept? Is God's Word hard to understand, or is it just hard to accept? With a little study, God's Word is understandable. It, it is. I mean, it may take you a little while to understand context and such, but God is not a God of mystery. God wrote us His Word so that we would understand Him. But many people do not want to accept it because the very reason it's understandable. Did you catch that? They, they don't want to accept it because it's understandable. The Bible teaches that God created heaven and earth. Well, I find that so hard to accept. I believe in evolution. Did you notice the hand on the hip? Well, the Bible teaches there's only one way to heaven. Well, I don't accept that because I think all roads lead to God. You just have to be sincere, and as long as you're sincere in your faith, you get to go to heaven. Well, the Bible teaches sleeping around is a sin, sex outside of marriage. In our day and age, Rob, I find that so hard to accept. I, ju I just can't believe you're so antiquated. Isn't all love beautiful? I mean, we could go on to so many things in the Bible that we say, well, I understand what the Bible says, but I do not accept it. I do not want to live my life by it. Isn't that something? The creature, man, telling the Creator he's wrong. Isn't that, isn't that what you're doing? Isn't that what I'm doing, what the world is doing? God, I don't, I don't buy what you're telling me. I don't buy what's in your word. I don't accept it. Now, this happened to Jesus, as you know. In fact, let me just turn there real quick in Mark chapter 6. Jesus does a hard teaching, and he says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. In other words, I don't accept it. Knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense what then if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If the Spirit who gives life, it is the Spirit that gives life, not the flesh. He gives life, not us. He's the one that's smart, not us. He knows truth, not us. And then Jesus goes on, but there are some of you who do not believe. And he, he, he has this issue and so after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him they didn't accept what he was teaching so Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well and good old Simon Peter this is one of the times he's right on the money right on the money he says Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life you're God. We understand that. You are the Holy One. That's what he goes on to say. So in our text today, it, there are several of these easy-to-understand things going on, hard for the people to accept, hard for us to accept. So here's what I want you to grasp today. When God's Word is hard to accept, your flesh has a tendency to want to water it down. That's what happens. Your flesh wants to blend it so that you're willing to accept it. 
You want to make the words of eternal life, these hard-to-accept words, more palatable by adding your preferences, by adding your wisdom, by adding your cultural norm, watering it down so that you can then be okay with it. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing how parents have, yeah, I, I believe this in the Word of God, and then as soon as their child is doing it, oh, it's, it's okay. Before, it wasn't okay, and now that their child's involved in something, now it's okay. Have you noticed that? Somebody nod their head. Say, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, you shouldn't sleep together before marriage. That my son and daughter are, are shacking up it's okay. Uh, it, you know, you go after one after one thing after another. And it's like, oh, you know, homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. Well, now that my child is gay, now it's okay. Because we're trying to hold on to Christ and we're trying to take these hard teachings of Jesus and somehow blend them together and be okay with it. But this can't be done. God's ways are not man's ways. God's thoughts are not man's thoughts. In fact, in, in Isaiah, he says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So let's get to the text. Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32. 32. And let me set up the context as we jump in, because we were last in, in, in uh, chapter 20. And we got the Ten Commandments. So here's the context. The mountain is rumbling. The smoke has filled the, the, the top of the mountain. God's voice is booming out the Ten Commandments. And they say, we will obey them. We accept them. And then they just tell Moses, but you do the talking. We don't want to hear from God anymore. Good plan. Moses and Joshua go up to the mountain. Joshua stays at the base. And Moses is called up into this smoke and fire. And he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And God and him are up there. And God is writing the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. It says, with the finger of God. And so that's where we're at. Now, before he leaves, Moses goes to his brother Aaron and says, Aaron, you're in charge. I'm putting you in charge. If there's any problem, if there's any dispute, you are to handle it, okay? Aaron probably gave him the thumbs up. Probably not. He, he probably didn't use that, but he, it, it, back though it, it was. So let's pick it up at verse 1. We're going to read a lot of the chapter and then go back into it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. 
And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Verse 6, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now the rising up to play is very sensual. In fact, later on, the King James Version is going to use the word naked. They often led to orgies. So here's this God's people that grew up in Egypt have fashioned a calf after one of the gods of Egypt because they had a god that was a calf. It was Apis. It was a bull. And so here they're reverting right back. I mean, it's just been a few days where God said, no, I am first. No other gods before me. No idols. Don't take my name in vain. Right? And here they are making an idol. They're bowing down to worship it. Aaron says, we're going to have a play day tomorrow. Oh, man. So what happens? They rose up early the next day, and they went to play. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may just consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. God says, I, I know where this road's ending. Step aside, Moses. Let me just consume them, and we'll start over with you. What does Moses say? Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? To kill them in the mountains or to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And classic, verse 13, he calls God back to the covenant. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, that they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Okay. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. As Moses is going down, he's going to pick up Joshua down at the base. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, Hey, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, nor the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. Verse 19, and as soon as they came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, now it's Moses' turn to get angry. 
Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, you can imagine this brotherly talk that's about to go down. Moses goes to Aaron and says, what? What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, "Uh, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me. Now catch this. I threw it into the fire and out popped this calf. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to lie, make it a better lie than that. Because this isn't a solid gold piece of idol. It took time for them to make this thing. They had to either make it out of clay or make it out of wood, probably wood, shaped it, and then they had to melt the, the, the metal and then overlay it and overlay it. And, and it. and that's why Moses was gone for 40 days, right? And 40 nights he's up with, with the Lord. These guys had to start messing around weeks earlier in order for them to build this thing, put it together, and then have a day of, of, of feasting. And so... Moses is mad and he's hot and he breaks the tablets. But now, this is one of these areas, and we'll get to it in a moment, but just listen to what he does. Moses saw that the people had broken loose, or the the King James, they're naked. For Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Verse 26, Moses stood in the gate of the camp And he says these iconic words, Who? Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on the side of each of you and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today, he's talking to the Levites, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son or of his brother, that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. We're going to just stop right there. And you have to just kind of sit back and take it in. Because there's a lot going on here. And there are a lot of nuggets in in this passage. A lot. But there are three things I want to chew on. But it comes back to this, this concept, this idea, God's Word. Is it hard to understand or is it just hard to accept? Because these people heard the Word and then they found out, nah, we don't, we don't, we don't accept that. And you're going to see the outcomes of this. So the very first fill in the blank is this one, the golden calf. Now on this fill in the blank, I have this word syncretism and poor leadership. We'll give you the definition of syncretism in a minute, but it means that you blend two ideas together and you mix them. We get synchronized from it. The word synchronized, we get that from the same word where you take, hey, this is 
God's view and this is man's view and we're going to somehow put them together and we're going to synchronize them together and then we're going to have a new value. That's what it is. And In fact, let's go on to the definition of syncretism. The blending or attempted blending of different religions, cultures, and schools of thought. Took a little time to make that idol. And in this process, how many commandments do they break? I think they break three. First commandment, have no other gods. They made another god. Have no idols. They made an idol. And guess what they did? And this is where it gets really stinky. Here's where it gets really stinky. They took the name of God and put it on the idol. They said, this is Yahweh. So they broke the first commandment, the second commandment, and the third commandments. Are they off to a good start? No, they're not. Why? Because of synchronism. They're trying to take their old way of living and God's new way of living. They look at God's way and say, I don't, I don't like that. I, I, want, I want this. The, they blend what they know, what they're familiar with, what, what they're comfortable with, what, what is acceptable. And then they slap God's name on it. Could you imagine? Just a month ago, fire, smoke, thunderous voice out of the heavens of God speaking the Ten Commandments. And now they're bowing down to a mute, non-speaking, gold-plated piece of junk. But it gives them license to be promiscuous. It gives them license to do whatever they want to do. See, instead of coming up to the standard, we take God's standard and lower it. That's what our culture is doing. God's standard is here. Even in the last 50 years, you have seen our culture go down, not up. Am I right? Yes. And instead of coming to the standard, the Word of God, they lower the standard to fit their flesh. And here's the kicker. They're okay with it. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's like, this is perfectly fine. It's perfectly acceptable. Why? Because culture, culturally, idols were acceptable. They were expected. They were wanted. They were desired. When God said there are no idols, that probably was hard for them to accept. So let's make an idol and slap God's name on it, and now it's Okay. See, you can't blend God's way with man's way. That's just the, the way it is. In fact, I, I think I have the slide. I think it's uh, first, let's, let's see what the slide is. This is out of Corinthians. It says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such you once were, past tense. So there's an expectation that, yeah, all these people were in that, were in that group, but once you come to Jesus, now the hard teachings of Jesus 
you try to come alongside instead of, ah, just, I, I just don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I don't believe that man should be the leader of the family. What about equal rights? Well, I don't believe a, 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 a woman, a wife needs to submit to her husband. Well, you know what? That's a hard teaching for some of you. But the fact is, that's what the Creator says. And when you say, I don't accept it, you're telling God what? You're wrong. I'm right. Ooh. You can't come to Christ and then live like the devil. You can't blend what is acceptable to God and what is acceptable to you and have it be okay by slapping God's name on it. Oh, I have, I know many Christians that just slap God's name on evolution. Oh, well, that's how God created the heavens and the earth. He used evolution. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said he did it in 24 hours and death didn't come until after sin came in the world. So how can you have generation after generation after generation after generation and have all this morphine if there's no death involved? Because the Bible says that death came into the world because of what? sin wow well that's just a hard teaching to accept well we slap christians slap christ on abortion they slap christ on homosexuality they they slap christ on transgender uh, well let me just say what the biblical being a transvestite instead of gender fluidity and so we're living in a culture that says i don't accept what God says, because I know more than the Creator. And we're like, ooh. And then there's Aaron. Good leadership does the right thing for the right reason, regardless of the consequences. Aaron was weak, Aaron was a coward. That word that was in the text means that they gathered around him in an oppressive way and said, you need to do this for us. And what did he do? Instead of standing his ground for what he knew was right, he was one of the ones and the 70 elders that got to go a little higher up in the mountain, got to see God and the sapphire throne. And, and he got to see all that. And instead of taking a stand, he cowtails to the mob. Good leadership does what's right, not what the mob wants. Not what is easiest. Some theologians think that he said, well, give me your gold and then we'll do something about it. Because he didn't think that they'd part with the gold. And they part with the gold and now he's in a pickle. But I don't know about that. I think people, as a general rule, like to spend money on their vices. Do you drink? You, you spend your money on drinking. If you smoke, you spend your money on smoking. If you are lustful, you spend your money, you know, doing lustful things. You usually spend your money on your vices unless Christ has really come in and taken over. Amen? And did you notice in the text that they got up early? They couldn't wait to get naked, to indulge their flesh. Good leadership doesn't let people get out of control, but leads people and their thoughts and their actions where they need to go. Aaron, all he did was put fuel on the fire, on their flesh. 
As a leader of your own home, do you tolerate gossip? Do you tolerate gossip in your home? Do you tolerate backbiting, manipulation, lies, deception, posturing? It may not be an orgy, but it's still the same. You know what? I'm going to, I understand God says not to gossip, and I'm the leader of the family, but I can't wait to come home and tell you what happened at work. I can't wait to tell you what happened in the neighborhood. Wait, you're not accepting what God said. Number two is this. Here's the second fill in the blank, and we're going to go through this super quick. Moses interceding, and he's really standing on God's name, God's glory. God, uh, Moses intercedes but appeals to God's nature by appealing to his name. And the good leader went to bat for Israel and didn't write them off as worthless. Do you know in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses tells a little bit more of the story and he says God wanted to kill Aaron right then and there and because Moses went to bat for his brother and prayed and said, oh, I'm standing in the gap, I'm standing in the breach, do not kill my brother. I know he did wrong, forgive him his sin. And do you know what? God did it. The power of prayer is so amazing. And here he saved an entire nation and his brother. And his brother. It's another thing that's easy to to understand but hard to accept. Praying for people who are mad at you? Praying for people at work that want to do you wrong? You hear it in the Bible, you read it in the Bible, you hear the Spirit tell you, you need to pray for this person that is such a thorn in your side at work. And you know what you say? I don't accept that. Or you say, I will come up to your standard instead of trying to bring your word down to my level. And then here's the biggie that most people have a problem with. Any side outside of Christ. And that is this. The wrath of God. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God isn't warm and fuzzy and full of warm milk and a good nap in the sunshine. The wrath of God, is it, doesn't it kind of make your stomach turn that he tells Moses, grab a sword and go through and kill everybody that's naked? I mean, it doesn't say it specifically, but he says, I want you to go through and, you, and that may mean you have to kill a brother and that may mean you have to kill a neighbor have to go and do it and get it done the wrath of God is is is, it's a biggie people say well I believe in the God of the New Testament but I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament I just won't accept that God is a wrathful God and yet time and time again God talks about his holiness and therefore there's there's going to be wrath they try to skirt the issue they try to reason away they try to blend their wisdom with God's wisdom Christian, you don't have to make an excuse for God's wrath. You don't have to make an excuse. We need to hear about it. We need to learn from it. We need to understand it. In fact, let's look at the next slide. This this is out of Romans, the classic epistle of the New Testament. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain because 
God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The New Testament talks about the wrath of God. And not only does the Romans, he goes on to Colossians. Let's go to the next slide. He says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then verse 6 says what? On account of these, the wrath of God is what? It's coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You need to, you're now in Christ. You're a new creation. You're coming up to the standard, not bringing God's standard down to you. Trying to blend them together and live in both sides of the world. And so we look at this teaching and we say, okay, I'm going to accept it. And then, what about Jesus? Isn't Jesus just about love? I mean, he's portrayed as a lamb. Lambs are soft. Lambs are cuddly. Lambs are, are, are innocent. And, and he's the lamb of the world, right? Go to the book of Revelation, and, and it says this. You can go ahead and throw it up there. Kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the, what does that say? The wrath of the lamb. That cute, cuddly, mercy, only grace lamb suddenly has wrath. Let's go on to the next one in Revelation. It says this. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and that is the part in end of Revelation where he says he's going to wipe away every tear for those that love him. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any sorrow. You are in the presence of God. And then he says, and the one who conquers this will have heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their, their portion will be where? In the lake that burns without, with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, God's ways are not my ways. And I don't know if I could have strapped on a sword and gone through the camp from one gate to another and killing everybody. I don't know. That might have just been too unacceptable for me. I, 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 especially if I had to kill people that were dancing around naked. I, I, I just don't think I could. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to accuse God of doing wrong because he, he said it. Did you catch that? It's God. He said it. It's His rules. It's His world. He is holy. And the gap that is between a holy God and His creation is unsurmountable. It is like the clay telling the potter what to do. Instead of understanding that the potter's the one that's in control, not the clay. So God's Word, hard to understand. 
hard to accept. But even when I don't understand, I still need to be obedient. Now we have to wrap up. Here's some takeaways. There are no fill in the blanks, just takeaways. God is not a man that he should think like us, number one. And we, the created, need to accept his word with thanksgiving. Even when it's contrary to how we were raised or our culture today. You can't bow the knee to Christ and at the same time bow the knee to the culture without blending. Don't water down his word. God can defend himself. Amen? Now, I need to close with a psalm that recounts this. It says, Psalm 106 says this, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. His chosen one, Jesus, is standing in the gap. That's why there had to be the cross. God's wrath was poured out on the cross instead of you and I and satisfied his sense of justice. And Jesus took it all for us. He's the one that stood in the gap. And since he stood in the gap, that doesn't give us license to pick and choose the things out of Scripture that we like and don't like according to the way our culture is going. And whether you understand all of God's Word, and I don't, I still accept it and want to live by it. Even when I don't understand it, I want to be obedient. And in that day, this day, when you're able to say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to be obedient, then you have answered the call, who is on the Lord's side? It's you. It's you. Because you accept the Word of God as it was written not trying to blend it. You are the one that says, I am on the Lord's side. Let me pray.